Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Star Wars 7x7, episode 2319. So a couple of weeks ago, I did a couple of episodes where I talked about an email interview with Daniel Wallace, who is the author of, among other things, Star Wars The Lightsaber Collection. And it turns out that he was actually able to come onto the show. So today, part one of a two-part interview with Daniel Wallace in real time. Punch it. Hey Rebel Razor, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy. And thank you so much for joining me for it. So let's do it again, shall we? Daniel Wallace is the author or co-author of more than 50 books, including The Jedi Path, Ghostbusters, The Ultimate Visual History, The World According to Spider-Man, Warcraft, Behind the Dark Portal, and the New York best-selling, the New York Times best-selling, excuse me, Star Wars, The New Essential Guide to Characters. His specialty is exploring the underpinnings of popular fictional universes. And as I said at the top, the author of most recently, Star Wars, The Lightsaber Collection. Now, this real-time interview expands upon the stuff that I shared with you with his emailed responses to the previous interview questions. So this is entirely new. We may you know, touch upon a couple of those things in order to be able to jump off appropriately into these new conversational topics, but I'm really excited to share this with you. This is going to be part one of a two-part thing, and I'll find a nice break point to end the show with before we do part two tomorrow. So before we dive in, I will just say thank you so much, as always, for joining me for the show. And of course, may the force be with you wherever in the world you may be. And now, without further ado, part one of my two-part interview with Daniel Wallace of Star Wars The Lightsaber Collection. Daniel Wallace, thank you so much for joining me on Star Wars 7x7. How are you today? Uh, very good. Very good. It's a pleasure to be able to talk to you. I'm excited about this particular book and I'm excited to share it with people. That's wonderful. It's Star Wars The Lightsaber Collection that we're talking about in particular and I do have to kind of specify that because you've written quite a lot of Star Wars books in your history. I have. I've been doing it for for decades now <laughs> and uh, um, I've written many, many Star Wars books. My specialty is not on the fiction side but rather on the nonfiction side and sort of writing guidebooks and so on. So if you're the type of Star Wars fan who really likes to know how things work, um, or just the type of fan, really, you know, because I've written similar things for like Marvel Comics and DC Comics and, and other universes. Um, uh, but I've always been that kind of person where uh, I see something and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like, 
how does that, you know, how does it work? What, you know, who pilots it? You know, what, what happens if it breaks down? You know, like these kind <laughs> of things. And, and sometimes, you know, filmmakers, when they create these universes, they don't have that stuff figured out. And then sometimes they do. Um, but uh, it's always a pleasure if you're that type of person to be able to sort of uh, officially fill in the blanks. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, the first book I ever wrote was in the 90s. It was called uh, Star Wars, The Essential Guide to Planets and Moons. Uh, so a guide to the planets. And, and I've done many books since then. Star Wars, The Jedi Path, uh, Ultimate Star Wars uh, and things like that. Um, this is interestingly, though. Uh, this book that we're talking about, the Star Wars The Lightsaber Collection, is the first time I've done a book that's so specific. Um, it just, you know, sort of occurred to me <laughs> midway through it that, you know, this isn't... I've written a book called Star Wars The Jedi Path, uh, which is one of my favorite projects that I ever worked on uh, about the Jedi Order. And we talked about lightsabers in that, but it was it was part of a larger whole. As right. a Jedi or, uh, uh, you know... Uh, uh, philosophy you know they're warrior monks you know they um they have lightsabers but that's not what they're all about uh but this book specifically was only about lightsabers so it was uh, sometimes you you always hear that um when you're you, you, like a movie that's made without very much money or something like that or uh, that creativity comes from restrictions, you know, yes. like, like sometimes by putting boxes around a thing and saying, well, you have to only do this thing. You, you get better work. <laughs> and I almost felt like that was the case with this. Like it wasn't a book about the force. Uh, it wasn't a book about the Jedi. Uh, it wasn't a book about the Sith. It was a book only about lightsabers. And, um, and I, as I got into it, I really enjoyed, um, taking that deep dive um and uh and and yeah it was it was an interesting culmination of all those other books that I, i've done which some of them are in universe and some of them are out of universe and this book is both you know you have managed to touch on almost every single point that i wanted to <laughs> ask you about <laughs> which is awesome so i'm going to be following up on a lot of the things you just said but before i do that i want to say I, I feel like you're selling yourself a little bit short and that you know may be crazy to say in light of what you've just said but you talk about what you do for these books and i feel as though even though you're saying you're not you know doing maybe the creative writing like the actual you know fictional aspect of things i do feel like with books say like the jedi path that you are doing a lot of world building in there which may as well be fiction writing actual you know creative storytelling work for the star wars galaxy i think i think you're right and and uh that's definitely true um if you're familiar with kind of how these universes are put together star wars is a great example but you know there's a lot of universes that have a lot of uh, stuff star trek you know certainly came before star wars harry potter is very you know detailed uh these types of universes um you know a lot of uh anime uh, uh have a lot of uh, backstory i mean almost everything really does at this point you know we, we've kind of turned a corner where like ducktales has like a whole lore <laughs> Bible for it you know you can go on on you know you can find fan wikis on on almost anything and um and I think it's great because um, I think it's important when you're working in, in a medium to really treat the setting 
as if it's a real setting. And we all know it's not. It's obviously a fictional setting. But um, I think it's important to treat it as if it is. Um, you know, you'd be like, hey, did the, you know, did such and such really happen? And then sometimes you get a creator and they're like, uh, duh, it didn't really happen. It's a fictional story. And it's like, well, I know that, you know, <laughs> it's like I, I'm asking you to pretend like it really happened, you know. And so that sort of bond between the creator and the, and the audience is, I think, important because it makes you feel more invested in the universe. And uh, in my capacity as somebody who does a lot of nonfiction to, to what you were saying, uh, you have to. Uh, fill in the cracks you know mm -hmm. I, a lot of a lot of the stuff that i do and other people who who write these sort of encyclopedias is we do spackling you know <laughs> we're, we're not the architect of the house you know that's like george lucas or or somebody uh and we're not um we're not really designing the house you know that might be like you know the director's uh, and maybe like the people who write like some of the spin-off fiction and so on but we are kind of the cleanup guys who come in and make sure there's no nails on the floor and stuff. You know? <laughs> we, we spackle in all the cracks and we give it a nice paint job. And, and, and that's where you're coming from. There is a element of quote unquote nonfiction book that contains quite a bit of new fiction. You know, it creates facts. Um, it's like, well, why did such and such happen? And if you have the opportunity, like in the Jedi Path, that was an in-universe book, uh, you can help to explain that. Um, and some some projects have a little bit more of that than others. You know, some are very explicitly in-universe, and you can create a lot of stuff. And some of them are more explicitly out of universe. They're they're history books. You know, they're actually like, well, how did this uh, how did this movie get funded, and and when did it go into production, and and how much money did it make at the box office? And, you know, that's a little bit of that. Um, and so for this one, um, I think it's a little bit of a mix of both um, because it was so focused on lightsabers. We wanted to include the in-universe lore, uh, but we also uh, wanted to go into how they were made, um, you know, from a prop making standpoint, from a stunt master standpoint, um, from a, uh, for the animated series, you know, it's uh, you don't make anything physically, but you still make something, you know, like in the sense of a prop master, you make a CGI asset, uh, and so things like that. Um, and so, yeah, you're you're right. I, I think there's not a ton of like original lore in this, but um, every time I work on something like this, I'm always cognizant of the the need to. Uh, keep those things consistent um, and and really I, I think that's what makes these things work I've always felt like you know the more the more you can treat your universe and uh, the fans who take it seriously as as you know the, the people who are really obsessed with it are the ones who are the most invested in it you know right. and, and so that's that's good you know we should we should encourage that definitely um, so your bio actually talks about your work and describes it as, you know, your specialty is exploring the underpinnings of popular fictional universes, which I think you have done a wonderful job explaining what that looks like. My question for you is, how does one make that his specialty? Like, how did you become somebody who becomes a specialist in the underpinnings of popular <laughs> fictional universes? I, I, 
honestly, I, I got lucky. You know, <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, I, I think I, I do a decent job on these things, but there's a bit of right place and right time with this that I, I would be, you know, uh, I'd be a liar if I said it wasn't there. I, I, like I said, I started writing the first book, uh, the central guide to planets and moons, which is a star Wars book back in the nineties. Um, the reason I was able to just be considered for that gig was because the, in the mid nineties, very few people were, using the internet Hmm. um you know i was one of you know you know five percent of americans who were using the internet and uh uh and there were a little bit more of like star wars fans because they're kind of you know tech nerdy a little bit and were on um message boards and so on um and because i was on there and and uh associating with those star wars fans i had made a my own guide to planets um, just as a text file that you could download in file library. I mean, this is another world. It's like, it feels like feels like a hundred years ago. Uh, and it what I mean, it was like, geez, it was what uh, it was. It was ninety five, maybe. You know, I mean, it was a mil- It was ages ago. Yes, different, different, different epoch. Yes, but um, but because I had created this, and because. Very few people were online. Um, uh, I got to know people who were working at Lucasfilm because they were also online. And then they were like, oh, geez, this is kind of like what we're thinking of for this book. And so that's how I got the inside track. I still had to try out and I had to, uh, you know, I had to go through this review process and so on uh, to get the gig. But when people are like, well, how did you, you know, how did you get started? And, and it's something I could do. It's like, like, you can't do that anymore. It was like a, there was like a year and a half period of time in the mid nineties when you could pull off what I, what I was able to do. And, and that window was closed. Um, so, uh, so I'm grateful for that. But I, I think the only thing since then is, is that I, um, you know, I just, I just work as hard as I can on these properties. Um, but also kind of growing up liking various genre stuff was also a big help. I, uh, not only was I always a big Star Wars fan, but I, I grew up, you know, with DC Comics and Marvel Comics. I've done a, a lot of po- projects with that. Um, Ghostbusters, I've done that. Um, uh, Warcraft, I, I had a book about that. Um, I, uh, um, I always I forget. I mean, there's a there's a million different things that I, I've done that I'm always like, oh, that's something that I enjoy. You know, <laughs> I always kind of wanted to do that, and I've um, fortunately been able to work on a lot of different properties over a lot of time. And, and I feel, I feel really fortunate for that. I always keep feeling like, you know, the shoe is going to drop and uh, it's going to dry up. But honestly, I've been saying that to myself since like, you know, 1999 and I'm knock on wood. I'm, I'm still, still, <laughs> I'm still working. Still working. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, coming up on, well, I don't even want to put a number on it, but it's multiple decades. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was 1997, according to Wikipedia, at least, that your first Star Wars content was published. And you're building off something you said earlier. I'm wondering, how did the, the canon reboot in 2014 affect you as somebody who has dealt extensively with Star Wars from a nonfiction and a reference book perspective? Like, does an event like that 
turn your world upside down? How do you operate in the new environment knowing that a lot of the information that you're carrying around in your head, let alone, you know, that's been published is now not quote unquote official canon anymore? Yeah, that was definitely a big, a big thing when it happened. Um, some of the books that I have written, uh, I, you know, I, I wrote a book called The New Essential Chronology, uh, which is was a, a history of Star Wars from, you know, 25,000 years before the films um, mm-hmm. up through, you know, decades after the films, a century after the films, um, which was heavily influenced by the previous expanded universe. So. Uh, uh, you know, all the new Jedi order and, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Timothy Zahn and all those dark empire and all these, these spinoff things. Um, when it, when Disney came on board and, and decided to sort of clear that out, um, I was, uh, you know, a little bit like, Whoa. Uh, but also, like, I kind of knew it was coming a little bit because it made sense from a storytelling standpoint. Um, they're not going to want to retell all of those stories. So I was like, OK, they want to just clear the decks. It kind of makes sense. Um, and it was also helped a little bit because um, as somebody who kind of grew up reading DC Comics and, and that, um <laughs> If you're a comic book fan you've already been through that you know like, <laughs> yes uh, like uh, crisis on infinite earths right and then they're like oh, this is complicated let's just wipe it out and then you know they do zero hour and and final crisis and uh, uh the new 52 and uh they're, they're always rebooting right and and as fans we get it it's like it's complicated it's, it's hard to deal with multiple decades of backstory uh, it gets contradictory, um, but it, every time they do it, it's like, Ugh, again, you know, so at least with, with Star Wars, they've only done it once. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's always one of those things where it's like, okay, I, I mean, that's going to happen. The other, I guess the other point that I would make is that, um, it doesn't affect these types of books as much as you would think it would, because, mostly what happens in the case of star Wars, when they do that, that shift is it takes, it takes narratives out of canon. So like, um, you know, the Yuzhan Vong didn't invade for another galaxy and so on. Um, so that's, that didn't happen, but, but, um, a lot of the detail that might've been created from that is still extant in the, in the remaining universe by which I mean, um, like they wiped out everything, and then it was like, oh, okay, well now what do we do? Um, like, uh, I'm writing because I was working on the uh, uh, Ultimate Star Wars, which is a hardcover encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. I was working on that right at the time that they did that, and then Lucasfilm told us like, you can't use the old stuff. And I was like, okay, well I'm writing the century about Greedo. Like, is Greedo a Rodian or not? And they're like, well, duh, of course he's a Rodian. (laughs) And it's like, well, that was the old canon. But it was like, well, yeah, but we're not going to, like, come up with something new. We're just going to carry that over, like, obviously. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay, well, that makes sense. You know, so for for 90% of things in, in terms of planets, names, and where they're located in the galaxy, and... What is this blaster called? And and what type of uh, spaceship is this? 
Um, a lot of that originated in, in quote unquote non-canon stuff from like old role playing guides and so on. Um, but um, there's no reason to overturn it. You know, the, really the only thing they got overturned was like large grand narrative sweeps. Uh, but the world building stuff is is all extant and, and it carries over. Um, the one metaphor that I always thought was was helpful was um, it's like um, it's like a, a, a theater company uh, in a small town had been putting on a show uh, every night, you know, for years uh, in, in a theater. And they, you know, they had all the backdrops and they had all the props and they had all the costumes and then a new theater company came in. They're like, okay, we're going we're gonna to do stuff. We're going to do new plays. But they still use the theater. They still use the same backdrops. They still use the same props. They still use the same costumes. So it's like, okay, I, I, I get it. You know, like there's there's certain things that, that carry over. And, uh, um, and that's important. There's a bit of a continuity to it. Like, uh, and it's the same thing with like the DC comics I was talking about earlier. You know, like you don't change the fundamental story. You just update and you tweak uh, some of the stories. You know, there, there are certain things that are inerrant to the universe that carry over no matter what happens, um, and uh, and that's what happened in this case. You know, that puts me in mind of something that um, Jason Fry uh, said when he was a guest on the podcast a couple of years ago. Um, for listeners, Jason actually co-wrote The Essential Atlas with Daniel Wallace, um, but he was looking for a reference number for a, a part to a tie fighter for a rebels related book and was told oh no it's still the same thing regardless of what it was named in the pre-disney reboot of the canon and he referred to if i remember right it was like an infrastructure canon where you know there were things like you're describing that were just still carrying over because why change them and yeah, it is just really that sort of narrative sweep that is, you know, is the only difference between what came before Disney and what's come after. Yeah, it, it, I mean, to use the DC example, it's like, um, you know, DC kind of rebooted their comics universe in the 80s. It was called Crisis on Infinite Earths. And, and, and from a Batman perspective, it meant that Batman, there wasn't like an older Batman who fought in World War II, who lived on a, another planet and so on. And so they, they did away with that because it was confusing. But so you'd be like, oh, OK, I get that. So what are those like boomerang type things that they are shaped like bats that Batman throws? Like, what are those called? It's like they're called batarangs. And it's like, but wait, you you erase the old universe. It's like, well, that, we're not going to rename batarangs, you know, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like, it's like common sense that um that these it's only narrative it's so it's only broad narratives the, the the nuts and bolts of the universe um are carried over and fans can you know 99 percent of the time be reassured that those elements are going to be carried over um so it's not that if you spend a lot of time with the previous expanded universe that well i wasted my time um i guess it depends on what you're what you're looking at you know like if you're heavily invested within certain characters uh, and those characters aren't in there, you know, like a Jaina Solo or something like that. You know, I, I sympathize because that's a different situation. But, um, you know, if you like, you know, ships and, and space combat and, and, and that's more of like your hook, um, a, that's going to be carried over almost wholesale uh, under a, a, you know, a reboot. 
Right, and it's just a matter of time before somebody sees it in a new reference book once again. Mm-hmm. Some by some is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2020 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.